Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about recent Fed actions, mortgage rates, housing inventory, purchase apps, and more. First, here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Diego Sanchez, COO of HW Media, and I'm joined today by Alex Ilazai, Chief Strategy Officer at United Wholesale Mortgage. Thanks for joining us today, Alex. Hey, Diego. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Most forecasters are seeing rates in the fives and the sixes for 2023 and, and 2024, which means we will be in a purchase market for the foreseeable future. Is this good for the broker channel? Yeah, it's great for the broker channel. You know, just assume a rate's at 6%, right? We have temporary buy-down products, just as an example, where you can buy down that product where the first year you're going to pay 4%, second year you're going to pay 5%, and the third year and beyond you'll pay the 6%. And by that time, hopefully you'll probably be in a, we'll be in a position where you can refi that loan. Uh, so really, there's just so much opportunity. To me, the way that we think about it, Diego, is like you're dating the rate, but you're marrying the house, right? So you want to go out there. If you see the house that you like, you see the property you like, you, you buy it, right? And you worry about getting that lower rate maybe in a you know back half of the year uh, or even next year. But again, it's just going to be a short-term thing the way that we think about it. And still, relatively speaking, we're not talking about massive interest rates, right? I mean, the, the days of the twos and the threes that we were experiencing in, in 2021, that was somewhat of an anomaly. So we expect them to come down a little bit and all the forecasters and economic indicators are pointing that fashion. But right now, I think we're in a good spot and brokers are continuing to win. And you can see it in our broker share and everything that we're doing. We're just having an outstanding start to the year. Alex, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing your insights. Thank you. It's good to spend time with you. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is wonderful to be here. Another eventful week, of course, uh, in this fun-filled drama uh, economic landscape that we live in now. Absolutely. So you are on CNBC again this morning. You are you are getting to be a popular uh, guest for them. And I wanted to ask, follow up on one of the questions that they were asking you, which is about um, home prices. And do home prices really impact inflation? So this is a, a, a talking point of mine recently because I, I think a lot of people misunderstand this. And uh, Sarah, the anchor from CNBC, she asked me about, well, the you know the growth rate of home prices year over year is falling. So we've seen that in the Case-Shiller Index, it's only up I think three point eight percent year over year. The FHFA Home Price Index is is about five percent year over year growth. But she assumed that that would be. Uh, uh, positive for the Fed in fighting inflation. And one of the things I've tried to uh, talk about is inflation, how the CPI and PCE track it is rent. It's not home prices. And going back to during the housing bubble years, uh, during the overheating credit expansion, home price expansion, Core PCE, which the Fed always targets, uh, personal consumption expenditures, two percent. They always talk about that two percent level. That's that's what they that's what they want. Was below or at par the entire time during the housing bubble years. Uh, uh, so there wasn't any uh, core inflation taking off like we saw uh, this time around uh, when home prices were accelerating and, and credit growth was accelerating. This time around, it's rents. So how CPI, in a sense, is tracking 
it still looks like, you know, shelter inflation is keep on tracking higher and higher, but that's not the case. That's an unsophisticated way to look at uh, inflationary data. The growth rate of rents uh, has kind of been in a downtrend really for two years. It's really hard to sustain the type of levels of uh, 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 rent inflation that we saw last year in the data line. So all the data that's new and, and more forward looking or more up to date is actually slowing down. But because CPI lags, CPI data, just the chart just looks uh, uh, still accelerating. Uh, so home prices falling in terms of the year over year growth data does not really impact the inflationary data as we see here. A lot of people just assume that to be the case. Um, that's why I always like to bring people back to the housing bubble years. Literally, we were at par or below the Fed's 2% target 2003-04. And you could see the difference is shelter inflation back then wasn't uh, taking off now. There is a glaring difference now because of what rent inflation did during the uh, pandemics. And now we're in the disinflationary stage. Uh, which is traditional with uh, uh, global pandemics in history. And of course, we are very interested in inflation, not only just for the larger economy, but for housing, right? We're so tied to interest rates. And we would love if the Federal Reserve, uh, of course, they don't set mortgage rates, but if, the, if they changed, if they, if they saw a recession coming and changed their tune, that would be great. So where are we on that? Why don't you bring us to the Gandalf line? I know we're going there. You know, I... I, I didn't have time to say this today on uh, CNBC, but the Federal Reserve looks at housing as a kind of a, a orphan, um, uh, an orphan that they left in the middle of the forest and a really bad rainy day with no umbrella and no map to go home. Uh, the mortgage-backed security market, uh, when the banking crisis did happen recently, the spreads got worse. Um the Federal Reserve, everybody did everything they could to you know, stop the run on the bank. And within seconds, they just say, hey, listen, we have an emergency we have to do. But with housing or the mortgage-backed security market, nothing. There's, They don't care, right? They don't even talk about it. And fundamentally, I believe over the past two decades, they're not comfortable talking about housing. Right during the housing bubble years, they didn't understand the credit channels. Even recently, when when uh, 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 Chairman Powell said, "Well, housing was in a bubble," and well, if housing was in a bubble, where's the supply down? Right, not sophisticated enough to talk about the internals of housing. So here they just go nothing. They're not talking. I mean, we are almost at the one year anniversary of when I talked about housing going into recession, June sixteenth, twenty twenty two, five oh one p.m. Um, if that was the U.S. economy, they would be more proactive. If it was a bank in trouble, oh, they'd be really proactive right now. But housing, no, they kind of leave it alone. But uh, you know, in terms of the mortgage rates and the ten-year yield, again, that ten-year yield, Gandalf line in the sand, still held right. And uh, last Friday, we saw an intraday break. We tried to break through it, shot up uh, uh, toward the middle of the day, and we closed off kind of right at that key level and we bounced off that. And that channel, you know, part of the 2023 uh, uh, prediction article or what I what I looked like looks perfectly normal to me in the sense that what I thought would break that lower would be jobless claims data getting worse. But now we have a banking crisis that in theory was going to create tighter credit all around the system. And because of that credit growth can't grow, 
Uh, we saw the spreads get worse because of that. That is a function of uh, credit tightening in the sense that rates go up, not because of credit availability index is, is changing in, in a very big fashion. I don't think that's going to be the housing story this time. We're, we're going to write an article about that. That's going to come out soon, uh, talking about the difference between a credit tightening cycle like we saw in 2005 to 2008 versus what we what we will see eventually here. But the bond market and mortgage rates still are in the uh, range that I thought they would be in 2023 because the economic data still is firm, firm enough to keep things uh, at bay. But we do have to incorporate the new variable of uh, credit getting tighter around the country. The Fed's own recessionary uh, model or the, the data line they looked has had the highest probability of a recession going back to 1982. So if it doesn't happen, then the model's broken or you have to adjust the model. I don't. They don't technically want to do that during an expansion, but uh, there's just a lot of different things about this cycle that uh, is different. Uh, and uh, we have. that's why we have to take a data one week at a time, one day at a time, because we have to incorporate new variables, different backdrop. And the, the biggest backdrop is that the household balance sheets in America look different, especially for homeowners. And Part of the tracker article, new listings data this week for this calendar week, all-time low still, right? The year-over-year gap is getting a little bit wider, so we're seeing that homeowners are just doing really good, and they're just, you know, if they if they want a list to sell and buy another house, they can if they if they could afford it. If not, not a big deal for them. So um, I'm going to ask you about inventory. We're going to talk about that in a minute, but you know, going back to the Fed, not only did they you know, leave housing out there. They said, you know, we need a housing reset. And they've talked about, it's okay if there's pain in housing, correct? Well, I mean, in general, um, it, this was the other question uh, CNBC asked me today. What do I feel like the Fed really wants? And to me, it's the pain of the labor market. In their minds, people making more money is not a good thing because it'll pass on to prices. So the the way they want to facilitate pain is the labor market getting weaker, jobless claims rising, the unemployment rates rising. Uh, so that's that's their way. For housing, they just kind of said housing reset and prices were hot and they kind of just left it alone after that. You don't really see too many comments or, or, or anything. I honestly believe this. If you get the Federal Reserve members against me, I can prove to you that housing really isn't their thing. Like they get third party information. It's like a lot of people. A lot of people get third. You could see the difference between people who are actually versed or track housing like religiously versus people who are handed a piece of paper and actually just reads it and kind of goes with what the data says. And I I just feel like they don't feel comfortable talking about housing because guess what? It's the one sector that it's been in a recession since June of last year and they don't really say anything, right? It's not like, well, we're going to try to maybe help the mortgage-backed security markets. No, no. A bunch of rich people in San Francisco, that bank, oh, emergency lending. Here, not the case. Um, the only time, like Neil Kashkari, when he went on CNBC a few weeks ago, said, oh, mortgage rates at 6%. <gasps> that could be bad. People can be buying homes. That's going to make our, you know. So I don't believe, I think rent inflation is the is the bigger driver, and there's other factors and variables there. But Home price growth really mm, not not historically uh, relevant in this case, and I encourage, I implore people go back to the housing bubble years, 
Look at shelter inflation, look at core PCE, look at core CPI. Nothing was going on there. In an, in an environment where credit was booming, home sales were booming, home prices were booming, didn't really impact the data lines that the Federal Reserve wants. So I was really confused when Neil Kashkari of the Minnesota Fed talked about, oh no, people buying homes, bad, can't do that. Can't get married, can't have sex, can't have kids. That's that's going to make our jobs difficult. Boo-hoo. Come on. People aren't going to stop living because your job is difficult for the Federal Reserve. You know, I mean, it's one thing for them to be like, okay, we, you know, we, we just set it and forget it and whatever happens to housing. It's like the reason there's a housing recession is absolutely a straight line from what the Fed did. I mean, you know, it, we're very, we're very- well, it, it, It's also- it, it's also a byproduct of massive home price inflation in a very short amount of time. That's, you know, and, and the unfortunate aspect now is, and, I, and I, I'll have this internal battle with everyone. This wasn't like a massive credit boom that we saw from 2002 to 2005. Literally, uh, inflation, if you want to look at it, if the supply of the product falls, even if demand was stable and the same, that in a sense can create inflationary aspects. Well, inventory broke to all-time lows at the worst time possible, and uh, home prices escalated out of control. Uh, and it's interesting that you know now that we see the home, kind of the home price index, you it's really the West Coast areas that are that are getting uh, hit the hardest. And again, California and all these places, they whenever whenever mortgage rates rise, they get impacted much more just because any mortgage buyer gets hit. Uh, harder just because the home prices are so much bigger and, and the, the amount of debt and debt payments you would need to to qualify for houses. You have you don't have that many people that can uh, buy homes in California that are younger. Of course, you, you older uh, baby boomers are now uh, over uh, past the millennials just because of a lot of nested equity. They have cash. You know they they can do things other people can't. But for mortgage buyers, California tends to always get hit harder than other places. I mean, you also have that tax that if you're older, um, your your property taxes are frozen, right? Well, yeah. I mean, Prop 13 was basically designed for everyone in California to just stay in their homes forever. So it's it's one of the uh, unfortunate realities of public policy. But uh, yeah, uh, uh, homeowners in California, especially those that have lived for a long time, uh, they have so much nested equity. Even for someone like myself, I mean, I'm going to be living in my home for... 19 years now. Uh, um, but there are people out there that have been in their homes a lot longer than I have, and they are sitting on a pile of equity uh, uh, that no matter what happens with prices, they still have that nested equity there uh, for longtime homeowners. Okay. So in the last 10 years, I've moved five times. So how is it that you've been in one place for almost 19 years? That's crazy. Irvine is my city and I'm its ambassador. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, it's true. It's true. Well, uh, I guess that's not true of me. Okay. Well, let's talk about the tracker this week and inventory specifically. Did, what did we see with inventory and where are we on that whole seasonal bottom? And did we see the seasonal bottom? Are we going up? Tell us about it. So active listings fell, uh, slightly, um, uh, two weeks ago, we've, we have a workable bottom, uh, uh, unless active listings fall again, this, this next week, uh, and breaks through that, but this is going to be another April, uh, seasonal increase. And again, very abnormal, 
not a normal thing to have seasonal uh, bottoms in March and April, let alone uh, the increase uh, later on. And again, for me, I, 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 I have a working theory on this. We have had three very abnormal late demand runs in uh, 2020, 2021, and 2022. It's peeling some of the uh, homes off the marketplace early on and new listings data uh, not growing like it did pre-COVID. And we have that this year where the new listings data is, again, uh, all-time lows and the year-over-year gap is getting a little bit bigger, where earlier in the year, uh, it, it was roughly uh, on, on par, or even slightly higher than either 2022 or 2021. But uh, it, it was kind of more of the same. Um, uh, we'll, we'll see. We should be able to get the inventory uh, uh, active listings increase. I mean, we, we had that the last two years. I was asked that question, you know, can, can we see another year where we don't get the active listings that only happened in COVID. And that only really happened because of COVID. It was that, you know, two month period where nobody was doing anything. Uh, and, and then we saw new listings recover back, uh, quickly. Um, but we, sh- we always had the seasonal increase in inventory and that should be happening soon. But yeah, it's, 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 we, we push this out to, uh, April again, and uh, uh, with the new listings data at all-time lows this week for the calendar week, uh, w- huge difference. I mean, I mean, one of the things I talked about uh, th- this week is try to give some people historical context. Um, like in 2015, uh, this week, we had like 108,000 new listings, single family. Uh, this week, uh, or this last week, uh, it, it was uh, a little bit above 50,000. The total active homes uh, for new homes that are on sale is 72,000. So just one week of new listings back pre-COVID is more than all the active new homes available for sale today. So it's just a different different marketplace. And again, that has been happening for many years. There's a whole long-term story here on inventory channels. And, and, and I stress this, it's credit. Credit channels have changed. They were different back in 2000 and 2005. That's allowed people to move more freely, list their homes uh, and uh, and move and buy another one. We don't have that marketplace. And this is why this is a, a 13-year uh, uh, thesis uh, with uh, hopefully, I know you don't like to give me a chalk or a chalkboard, but one day I can prove to everyone uh, why I'm not a mortgage rate lockdown person. Yes, we still have to have this fight on camera. I will probably lose because you have way more data, but but from an intuitive standpoint, it makes a lot of sense, Logan. Uh, and an intuitive, the, the CNBC actor, whose name, her name was Sarah as well, uh, thought home price growth, the growth rate of falling is it will make inflationary data come less. But if you look at the data, it's it's not the case. Uh, uh, and it wasn't the case during the housing bubble years. And even now, it, I, I cannot express to you how glaring the shelter inflation still rising when we know all the front load data is is getting cooler and 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 how that's such a historical event right now. But again, so much different than during the housing bubble years because we'd never had that rent inflation take off like we did in 2002, three or four or five. Uh, like here, we just had a, you know that little, sh- little small dive and then just an acceleration in rent inflation. And unfortunately, the, the most current data is already uh, cooling down and the uh, backward data is still rising. So CPI inflation is still artificially too high right now. Uh, but uh, you know, over the over the course of the year, that's that's going to change. Let's talk about some of the uh, reports out this week. So, purchase apps, pending home sales. What are we seeing there? 
Yeah, pending home sales beat again. That's three positive uh, months of pending home sales. And I, I stress to people, what we're seeing today started on November 9th. What happened on November 9th is nobody cared that housing data was getting better. We even made videos of this. I said, like, front load housing data is is always been great. Nobody cares about it. I've seen this happen. November, December, January. So from November 9th to February 8th, the forward-looking data showed that housing was stabilizing. We had some growth. We had a waterfall dive in existing home sales. Then we had one of the biggest month-to-month sales prints ever recorded in history. How did that happen, right? The internals of how this data line works, uh, forward-looking data is positive, waterfall dive, boom, we had this. So the pending home sales today um, uh, is just a continuation of that. Now, we did have three weeks of negative data uh, uh, when when rates rose from 6% to 7% recently, uh, but the last four weeks for purchase application data has been positive. Uh, so they're kind of washing each other out. But overall, since November 9th, if you look back and read the data, there's been more positive purchase application data than negative, but also we were working from a very low bar. That big existing home sales print, one of the biggest month-to-month sales prints ever, uh, bounced off of that low bar. So we don't, we're don't, we not using that anymore. And I think the conversation going out for maybe the next two or three years is that what level of sales is going to need to take lower mortgage rates to get it to grow from there? When you're working from 6.5 million, like we did in January of 2022, you have a lot you know, to go down. And I've, I've always said that 4 million level monthly sales, it really, we don't really trend below that. That's why last year was so historic. I don't think people can appreciate how fast and big home sales crashed in one year. It took like from 2005 to 2007, you know, uh, it took three years to kind of get back to the levels we saw in one year. So we're stabilizing here. Um, we'll take it one week at a time, but, you know, pending home sales is up again, purchase applications. So all these are positive data lines because they are positive. They're not negative. So follow forward looking housing data. It's worked since the mid-1990s for a reason. Uh, it, numbers do not care about your ideological takes or whatever you want to push on the internet. Just go with it. If it's positive, it's positive. If it's negative, it's negative. Go with that. And this is why you created the tracker because it's forward-looking data and you look at uh, the 10-year yield and mortgage rates. You look at inventory and you look at purchase apps. And so that comes out every Monday. That's the housing market tracker on housingwire.com. And you know, what are some other things that you saw in this last this last week when you wrote on Monday? Like what stood out to you? I mean, to to me that that channel, the Gandalf line held. I mean, it, I mean, in it in I I understand like some of my stock trader friends would tell me, okay, we're going into a recession. Everything is flagging a recession. Bond yields have to go down. I listen, I, I get that. But you need the economic data to start to really break, right? If we had jobless claims rising like four or five weeks in a row, then listen, yeah, the 10-year yield would would come down. But that level is holding for a reason. I mean, I, I wouldn't put that in the 2023 forecast if I didn't believe in it. But I, I could understand how some people say, well, we have to be going into recession soon because so everyone likes to buy bonds during that time, 10-year yield comes down, mortgage rates will fall. But we're not there yet on the economic data side. The growth rate of inflation is, 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 is going to fall. It's not falling as fast as some people thought. Um, but uh, if I, I truly believe this, if economic data start to get noticeably weaker, especially jobless claims, that that line should break. That's part of the forecast, right? The the, the reason we I talked about 
how the 3.21 would break under is if jobless claims start to rise. The whole Fed pivoting before the banking crisis was jobless claims getting to 323,000. Uh, we're still under 200,000. We still have 10 million job openings. Uh, uh, so the, the economy is still growing. So it's it's a very, very different kind of economic expansion and so many so much crazy data that I, I, I totally get it. It can be very confusing. Uh, and I've always thought this to be the case. High velocity data is something that a lot of people aren't used to because you know the you know data in the previous expansion was very boring and slow. So trying to make sense of all this, you really have to look into the internals. But you have to ask yourself why is something happening now? Short term rates have collapsed. They're already saying the Fed is done hiking rates. They're they need to cut. Um, uh, that that is very easy noticeable to see. But the ten year yield is still. Holding that line again, uh, e- even after a banking crisis, but uh, it, it does make sense to me in the context that the economic data is still firm enough. But if that wasn't the case, if jobless claims are rising, I, I truly believe uh, uh, the bond market would go lower on the long end side. But the short term rates have just climbed. I mean, it is really crazy how fast short term rates have collapsed. A two year yield, which really moves around where where they the market believes the Fed funds rate should be. Uh, uh, or going out in the future. So we're at the end of the month. Um, when's the next job report come out? And and do you think we'll see some major changes there? Uh, the following week, the following Friday, it'll be there. Uh, you know, jobless claims are, are, you know, we're still in makeup mode. We're still in makeup mode. I mean, we should be 158 million uh, uh, total employment number, numbers, not 155 million. So uh, makeup mode from what? From COVID still? I mean, from COVID, right? If if COVID never happened, if there was no COVID and we just took the trend job growth that we saw in, in the previous cycle, we should be 158 to 159 million today. So demand is 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 fine. So we're just still in makeup mode. Uh, this was the whole premise. That my whole job openings, 10 million. We get all the jobs back by September of 2022 from COVID losses. But the think about it in this: if there was no COVID. Right, so people don't understand why are we having these big job numbers if nobody's there to work. Well, if you look at it as makeup mode, it might make more sense. Now we always have two to three job prints that are that are weak uh, a year. Uh, so uh, if you see something weaker, just remember the internals should be looked at at jobless claims. Uh, jobless claims are more important than any headline job sprint. Millions of people get fired each month and then they get hired, but. When jobless claims break, that's game's over, right? The the history of jobless claims has been 100% accurate. We're not there yet. We, we see these layoffs, like all these tech people are laid off. They've got great severance packages and unemployment rates for college-educated Americans like 2%. So they can get a job. But um, when the labor market is really broken, claims rise. And that's the the final song of every kind of uh, expansion when the whole six recession red flags that were raised on August 5th, 2022 was like, okay, we're here. Now we get to look what gets claims to break. And that's more of a progression model. That's not the most exciting way to look at economics, but I always think that's the most efficient way to look at it. So we look at what breaks the jobless claims data, not there yet. So one of the variables that you have had to look at in the last three weeks that everybody has, and you've been talking about, is the bank failures. And you mentioned them earlier. What do we see happening next? Are are there other dominoes that are going to fall? Because over the weekend, of course, we had we had more news there. Well, you you know, there doesn't seem to be an exodus of 
capital or, or, or deposits from uh, other U.S. banks. Uh, there was a few really bad apples, and um, the Federal Reserve is now, or Treasury, FDIC, is kind of saying, "Listen, if if small banks have a problem, we'll help them out." Um, so, as of right now, things have calmed down uh, here in America. We uh, we we did see a major. Uh, 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 deposits being left by certain small institutions. We see the Fed discount window is being used uh, uh, in, in a big fashion. So there, there's stress in the system, and that's where everyone talks about what well, credit's going to get tighter, and that'll take us into a recession. So, but we haven't seen any other, you know, m- money leaving other banks uh, where we're going to have to need more and more emergency. I think everyone's trying to. Get some kind of uh, get get a system in place to uh, like get this done faster because you know if this was if this bank run was done on Slack in a few hours, you know uh, uh, the, this is not the old running to the banks getting cash out anymore. Things billions of dollars. I mean, one of the things that we found out this week is that uh, Friday, uh, you know, forty two billion dollars already left Silicon Valley Bank. Friday was going to be a hundred billion. That's why they shut it off. I mean, things move so fast these days. Could you imagine running to a bank and trying to get $100 billion out of credit around the country? <laughs> you know, it's not. You can do it from your phone. You know, so the games have changed. Technology has changed. And I think the, the, the Federal Reserve, Treasury, FDIC is trying to get things in place to move fast. Because with bank runs, you got to move fast and get ahead of it uh, so it doesn't spread uh, panic to other, uh, other banks. Well, it is only Wednesday, though. I feel like every time we record uh, on Friday for the Monday, that's when things start breaking, and and we know we're going to have to ride over the weekend because uh, you know they want to they want to stop the contagion. Yeah. So again, one day at a time. This is all I do now, so I'll monitor everything I can. But uh, uh, there's definitely a kind of a sense of calmness for this week. Uh, compared to the others, you know, the next uh, thing is, you know, commercial loans uh, for 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 banks. Uh, they're maturing; they're going to be due, and 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 the impact to the economy. And again, for for the consumer, it's not so much of a consumer balance sheet uh, economic concern. It's the uh, uh, the ability to grow the economy from certain banks that lend. Uh, that's credit tightening is is not good for any expansion. So we're going to keep a monitor of that. Uh, but on the consumer side of the balance sheets, again, homeowners, awesome. They've looked great. They've looked great for 10 years, right? Uh, and that's one of the reasons you don't see this mass panic to sell or whatever whatever pre- professional grift tactic we've seen over the years. Uh, homeowners don't look at their house as like a financial asset, like a stock trader would. Uh, it's a place for them to live. And hopefully that explains new listings data being at all-time lows uh, uh, this year. Logan, thank you. As always, appreciate your insights. Thanks for being on. Calling all mortgage title and insurance leaders. With interest rates shutting down your refinance business, your relationship with your real estate partners is more important than ever. HW Media wants to help you deepen relationships and find success in this competitive purchase market by inviting you to attend Gathering of Eagles. Real Trends Gathering of Eagles is the real estate industry's premier event, bringing together leaders from the most successful brokerages in the country. 
For the first time ever, this closed event is open to our full audience. Check out the show notes to find out more or head over to realtrends.com to purchase your ticket today. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.